Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? This is Lindsay Lerner, and you're listening to The Cost of the Status Quo. More people than ever are questioning why they do what they do and forging their own path. And on this show, I sit down with these entrepreneurs, trailblazers, creatives, and overall awesome beings to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the overall tips and tricks they're using so that the rest of us can do the same. This is The Cost of the Status Quo. Elevate your sound game with Filbert, the perfect upgrade for your recording or office space. Our producer, Andrew, has been pushing for a better recording environment. Say goodbye to basic egg crates and hello to stylish felt tiles that not only reduce 35% of ambient noise, but also show off your unique design sense. And the best part, these tiles are made from recycled bottles, making your recording space both stylish and eco-friendly. Get 10% off at feltright.com with code CSQ10. That's CSQ10. Let's give Andrew and you, our listeners, the top-notch sound that you deserve while making a positive impact on the planet. Share your creative Feltright designs with us and join the sustainable sound revolution. Welcome to this week's episode of Cost of the Status Quo. Today, we have the pleasure of sitting down with Brianna Doe, a highly accomplished marketer with a passion for storytelling and data. From managing marketing spend ranging from 3K to $30 million annually, to spearheading successful product launches and driving significant revenue growth for various brands, Brianna's impressive track record speaks for itself. Aside from her professional achievements, Brianna is a lover of movies, stand-up comedy, the Oxford comma, as well as an avid collector of art, tattoos, and candles that smell like cookies. She has also been recognized as a top content creator on LinkedIn, a revenue marketing leader to follow, and an overall badass at content marketing. Join us as we dive into Brianna's insights on the importance of storytelling and data in marketing and learn from her vast experience and expertise. Brianna. Thank you so much for making the time to be here. I super appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this for like months at this point. Glad we're here and doing the thing. And today you're calling in from Arizona? Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. Can send us some water if you'd like. (laughs) We're struggling. (laughs) It's dry out here. Okay. It's dry. Fair. Very dry. Fair. (laughs) And is that where you grew up? Gosh, kind of at this point. So I've been here for half my life almost. Before that, we moved a ton. So I was born in Georgia, lived in Indy, Texas, Jersey, and somewhere else that I'm forgetting. And we moved here when I was, I don't know, like 13. Wow. You're like, I've lived so many places, I can't lift them all. Exactly. Yeah. But then we moved here and we settled and I stayed for college and, you know, you just don't leave. I love it. And is there any specific childhood memories that you have that have stayed with you throughout all of these different moves in the years? Yeah. So I, it's funny you ask that. I have two siblings for context. I'm the youngest, so I'm the favorite, obviously. And my brother, I'm the only one, so I'm the favorite. <laughs> You're the favorite. Congrats. So. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So I have two siblings. Okay. And we're all three years apart. So my brother and I were very close growing up. My sister, I mean, by the time I was in middle school, I think she was finishing high school. So there's just that big gap. But my brother and I spent almost every day together when he wasn't in detention. And I've been asked this question before and every childhood memory I can think of, he's in it. And it's more like a montage. Cause I remember every summer growing up in Indiana, we would 
get our bikes. Like we would bike around all day. We would hang out with all the neighborhood kids, like play hide and seek and tag. And then in the winters, like we would build snow forts and go sledding. And so I like to tell him and others that my childhood was my brother, which is great. I love that. Was there anything specific, perhaps a way that he acted or, or a way that he was nurturing or like held space for you that really nurtured that relationship? Yeah. So in the basement, when I would play with like Barbies and all those other things, so I had the tall houses and stuff. And that's one side of the basement. On the other side, he had all of his like military figurines and army camps. I don't even know. And so we worked together. We basically had like two separate cities and we painted this lake in the middle on some cardboard and he would come over and this is a long-winded story, but he would come over with his military people and like protect my city. And I would go over to his side, like give fashion tips. You know, he had his own friends and they were always nice too, but he would sit down there for hours with me and just play and like not treat me like I was an annoying little kid and not, you know, rush to get away from me. And so I remember spending hours just playing down there with him and that really, yeah, it showed me that I was worth spending time with. <laughs> Seriously, like, you make me cry. We're five minutes in. Score. Oh <laughs> you win. I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> you can send my Lamborghini through the mail if you Ugh, like. Right? You know, I'll ship it. I'll Thank ship you. it out. Thanks. We don't need any more miles on that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. And so you grew up all over, around the world and back. And then post-college, what did that look like for you? Gosh, yeah. So... I ended up staying in Arizona for college. My plan was to go to New York, but I was really young. Graduated from high school when I was 16. And so my parents were just not, they just weren't okay with me flying across the country and living in New York City by myself. Sure. How did you manage to graduate at 16? I skipped, I should have asked my mom if it's called, I skipped kindergarten and first, I believe. And then I just... They just like threw you in at second nerd. grade. Yeah. So I was six in second grade, five or six. They're like, our, our kid doesn't need first grade or kindergarten. We're just going to. Socialization? No, she doesn't need that. Just solid. Just Explains a lot. No. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like you make a lot of sense to me now. <laughs> you know, I really get it. I really get it now. Incredible. Um, what was your question? <laughs> I was just curious how you graduated high school at 16. Oh, right. yes. And then yeah. your folks decided, hey, it's not a great idea to send a 16-year-old across the country to New York City of all places. Yeah, which is a fair a fair decision to be made. Yeah. So I went to school in state. I lived on campus. At 16? At 16, yeah. <sighs> I was in the dorms. Oh, my gosh. Very interesting. But... I can't even imagine that. I, yeah, it was... I was very aware of how young I was, like, in a way that I hadn't been aware of it before. So, yeah, it was interesting. Um, so I graduated from high school. I stayed another, I guess, fifth year for my scholarship and then graduated. And at that point, like near graduation, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I was a photographer. I was in love with marketing, but I studied film. I had no idea where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. And I just took the summer and took a step back and figured out what I was really passionate about and been a marketer ever since. How does a 16, 17, 18-year-old decide, you know, marketing, this is going to be my thing. This is my lane. Like, I didn't even know what the hell marketing was. And you're like, this is my life's calling. This is I what I know to do. Like 17, like, who does that? <laughs> just such a nerd. So I, so I was in the honors college at ASU. And by my sophomore year, I was the only one in my friend group who hadn't dropped out of the honors college. Everybody else, literally, everybody else had dropped out and started nonprofits. 
And I was still in there, just this film student, like in an honors school. It was weird. And so they were all starting these nonprofits, really great initiatives, like fighting sex trafficking and slavery and all of that. Not slavery, but you know what I mean? Sex slavery, yeah. And I was a photographer, so I was helping them with creative content and all of that. But they're new nonprofits. Nobody has money. And you realize that you have no plan for marketing. And also nobody knows how to do it. So I just decided to teach myself. Like I started taking online, like fun little courses for design and SEO and all of that. And I just loved it. It was great. And I think marketing is an interesting thing too, because typically it's it's the final end of a process. It's like everyone goes through all of the work. They go through the product development. They go through the like building a business. And then they're like, hey, it's your job. When in reality, I would imagine it would be much more successful if marketers were involved in the process in terms of creating effective communication. Oh, of course. I mean, that's the whole thing with product market fit. You know, you have these companies that hire a marketer and they're like, we have this great product. Everybody's going to love it. We just need you to sell it. And the marketer's like, actually, there's no audience for this and nobody wants it. Because you can't market a bad product. Totally. Oh, wild. Okay. We'll save that for later. <laughs> we'll turn, turn turn things on. Man. Okay. And so at 17, you've decided that you are in love with marketing. You've been doing it ever since. Do you have a specific experience or person and or people that have influenced your approach to marketing the most? Yeah, I would say my first manager. So. I did freelance for a long time and then I finally transitioned into full-time and I was freelancing in college, freelance for a little bit after college while I was wrapping up an internship. And then my first full-time marketing job was with Chick-fil-A. Like I was marketing one of the restaurants and then eventually two of them. And the, yeah, the owner took, he really did take a chance. I mean, I was this kid in my early twenties who I was probably 22, 23 I talked like I knew what the hell I was doing. I don't know if I actually did looking back, but, and he trusted me. He was very hands-off almost to a fault, but I learned a lot. He put me in rooms that I don't think I would have gotten into otherwise for years. Yeah. I, I grew so much. Where does the passion for storytelling come from for you? What is like most pants on fire exciting for you about that? So growing up, this is the same reason why I studied film to begin with. My emphasis was screenwriting. And growing up, I love to write like from the second. That was part of the reason why they pushed me ahead so far. Let me skip grades. My mom used to say that I was writing stories when they were learning like the ABCs. I wrote stories all day. I filled notebook after notebook. And at the same time, my dad really loved movies, loved them quoted them all the time, was always referencing them. And so it just became a thing for me and him and for just our family. We were always watching movies. And so I remember it didn't really click until college. I actually went into college undeclared, trying to figure out what to study, took a film class. And I realized I associate like filmmaking and storytelling with like family and with community. That's awesome. How do you integrate that passion for storytelling with the need to use data when it comes to actually developing a marketing strategy or a marketing campaign? It depends on what you're measuring. Like if I was measuring content, is our content resonating and performing? I wouldn't just look at 15,000 people download this ebook that we created. I would also look at, okay, well, how long are they staying on the site? How many shares are there? Is our average time on site going up? Um, I like to look more at the 
leading indicators to tell the real story, not just the so many customers we have now. Interesting. Could you walk us through what your process is for developing a successful marketing campaign? Ooh, that's a fun question. So I'm actually doing that now in my new role. I'm building everything. Hopefully my manager doesn't listen to this because I will just say there's nothing built. (laughs) I walked into the blankest of slates. So what I'm doing now is probably the best example. Our content strategy, I'll consider that a campaign. I have no data to look back on (laughs) to say what's working and what's not. Yep, that's tough. Yeah, it's it's fun though, but it's it's an interesting one. So this might be because I have control issues, but I love being the one to build out the structure and to build the playbooks and to build the processes and everything around it. So if there's no data to build a campaign around, what I do first is I try to put myself in the shoes of the people that we want to target. So let's say the audience is, well, just use my job, finance professionals, right? Like CFOs, heads of finance, all of that. I'll get on the internet and act like a CFO. So I have like organic search tools to see what they're searching for, what keywords they're looking for. You're like channeling like your inner bro. Um, yeah, I got like the best, you know, do they drink coffee, the little golf, coffee and stuff. Gucci, they wear Gucci. Patagucci. Oh, Pat- it's like oh, yeah. people who wear Patagonia who shouldn't wear Patagonia to like walk on Wall Street instead of actually Such using it for its actual purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so interesting to me. <laughs> it's a choice. I'm like, of all it, brands, of all brands that you want to <laughs> yeah, like take over. That's the wrong one. You should pick another one. But yeah, so I put on my Patagonia best. Excellent. Um, drop some F-bombs and then just get on the internet. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I start with just putting myself in their shoes. Sure. Learning what they're listening to, where they are on the internet, who they're talking to, who they look up to. And then I start figuring out what questions they're trying to get answered specifically with content. From there, I would look at what our company can do and say that others aren't or how we can say it differently. Establish our goals. Like we want to be a thought leader in this space, seen as one of the, like the industry standard for fintech. And then it's a matter of testing and experimentation. So no campaign that I built is set in stone. I mean, I know we talked a little bit about data and a little bit about metrics. Are there, how do you measure the success of a marketing campaign? And are there specific metrics that you're typically focusing on or does it differ you know, company to company? It differs based on the objective of the campaign. So some campaigns are going to be more about brand awareness, like getting our name out there. Some are going to be about driving conversions, so getting more paying customers. Some will be about just building engagement, whether it's more engagement on social, it's more downloads, whatever the case may be. So once I define success in that way, then I have very clear metrics for each. I mean, if it's based on conversions, how many how many new customers do we have, but also how many new trial signups or like newsletter signups, things like that. If it's for social, how's the follower growth, the engagement rate? If it's something with email marketing, how's our open rate? How's our unsubscribe? Really depends. But those buckets then have set metrics. Yeah. Okay. Is there, I mean, for you, I know you spend a lot of time. I mean, it seems as though you just eat, sleep and breathe marketing, which respect. How do you stay up to date with the latest trends, innovations? in general of marketing as an industry? What does that look like? So I like to go to conferences, primarily online. I don't love networking in person. So so online conferences are the main thing. I would say that I read books, but with marketing changing so quickly, by the time you finish the second chapter, it could be obsolete. 
So I, I like to read the ones that are just about the basics, the fundamentals, not about new trends. Morning Brew, Marketing Brew. And if I need inspiration, I watch Mad Men. I wish I was joking. <laughs> I, have, I have the box I set. <laughs> love this. So is that a way for you, like as a, as a woman in the field, as a Black woman in the field, you... <laughs> watching Mad Men. Is that like, is that you just being able to just like turn your code switching abilities up to like 15? Yeah. I don't know if those ever turn off. Um, (laughs) I would say, yeah, I, I guess they turn off at 5 PM, but, but yeah, it's, I'm just really inspired by Don Draper. And I, one thing I like about Mad Men too, is we have all these new technologies and apps now, right? We have TikTok, we have Instagram, we have medium, everything. We got it. But at the end of the day, people are still the same as they were 40 years ago. The way you advertise them is essentially the same, regardless of the medium or the format you're using. And there's something very raw and creative about that show. It just inspires me. Well, yeah, that was setting me up for a broader conversation around what it's like to work in a more historically heavily male-dominated space, especially a more heavily white male dominated space and how that shows up for you and the, you know, the good, bad and the everything in between. That's a good question. I mean, I'm, I'm very aware that some, or I'm cognizant of the fact that some companies would see me as a, like a diversity hire, but I also have reached a point in my career where, where I don't really give a fuck anymore. Like you, if you want me to be a diversity hire, I might still work for your company depending on the salary, the benefits, what I get to work on, who I get to work with. In my mind, you have to make it work for you. But those typically don't end up being the companies I want to work for. I want to work for companies with diverse leadership teams with a lot of opportunities for professional growth and development. Companies that think that way don't normally have that. And I will say too, I look like I'm in my 20s. I am in my 20s but I also look like I'm in my twenties. And so I think when you take that kind of the fact that I'm a black woman, it's easy to discount my abilities or underestimate me, which I like to use to my advantage. Ooh, tell me more about that. All right. I won't name names, but about pretty recently before I started this current job, had an interview, made it all the way to the end, met with the CEO and he was the most condescending person and all I'd heard before this was how great he was. And I'm not saying it was because of my race. I don't know if I can make that assumption. But I do think as a woman it comes up regardless. He tried to minimize my achievements and act like I'd never I've never had an experience as great as it would be at this company, which isn't true at all. And one thing he said specifically was, you know, this budget is probably not something you're you're comfortable with. I see that you, you know, I just doubt you have that experience. And I said to him, Oh actually I've worked with budgets that are 10 times as large, but I appreciate the size of yours. That's why I didn't get the job. And when I found I didn't get the job, I called my mom really excited about not getting the job. But I I just think there's so many companies out there. I don't have to work for the ones that will discount my abilities or make me prove myself. Oh, totally. Totally. And I think that's what's just interesting. And so I guess along, along that, from the job hunting perspective, that is something that you've spent a lot of time dedicating to the whole internet, at least (laughs) (laughs) tens of thousands of people on LinkedIn so far, as well as your 
17 other soon to be 20 other side hustles. So <laughs> I am launching two in the next few months, which is funny. Of course you are. So. so can you share with me a bit around what that process has been like for you to start really using your own skills and talents for yourself in a different way, especially when it comes to job hunting? So for context, I'm first generation American on my dad, on my mom's side and second on my dad's. And so there isn't really, you know, I graduated from college and my parents very smart people, brilliant people, actually. But when it comes to corporate America, I didn't really have a lot of guidance in navigating that. I also didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a career coach. I was really just winging it. And I like to say I have a colorful background, but in reality, a lot of it was traumatic or stressful. Yeah, it was It was hard. There was a lot that was great. There was a lot that I really struggled with. I struggled with figuring out if I wanted to specialize, what I wanted to specialize in, what's put up with, what do you not have to put up with, what's normal, what's not. How do you talk to your manager? How do you talk to a condescending manager? Like there's just so much I didn't know. And I just had to figure it out by going through it. And so for a long time, you know, I work in content. So I've built brands for other, I've, like created voices for other brands and told that story for other people, but I'd never done it for myself. And I got on LinkedIn to start telling it for myself. It was weird because I thought I would only talk about marketing. I didn't think I was going to talk about my career, like career journey at all. I was like, I'll just throw my hat in the ring and talk about demand generation. And I did. I think I we did so much more, just all all of it. But I did one post about marketing. I was so bored just typing it. I was like, this is the <laughs> this is not going to work. I'm not going to talk about this. I talk about it all day at work. I go to all these conferences. I'm not going to talk about it in my free time. Like, No, you don't need to talk about it. Oh, excuse you. (laughs) You're like, you don't have to talk about it anymore. (laughs) But yes, I do. You've done enough. I'm telling you that you've done enough. I talk about it a lot. My partner would agree. (laughs) But I, I did one post about it. I didn't like it. And then I realized what I was actually interested in talking about was I wanted to dissect my career. I was like, there has to be something in here that maybe could help somebody else. And so it was a really scary at first. Like I don't, I didn't like talking about myself. I was scared of judgment or even being like argued with. I, don't, I didn't feel like my opinions were very solid at that point. And I will say that's probably my favorite part of LinkedIn in the past years that I'm very comfortable with my opinions and my beliefs now. I invite respectful debates but um, I'm just comfortable with them. I, I like respectful debates now. And so, I mean, it started off one uncomfortable post after another uncomfortable post, and then now it has spiraled into, into what? That is the question. Honestly, that's what I'm trying to figure out. I, there's, there's so much coming together at once. I have 12 businesses. I don't even know what's going on half the time. It feels like a lot's coming together. I just don't know what it is yet. Like I, I was just talking to my friend about this yesterday. I don't know if I'm going to be a full-time marketer in five years. I have no idea. Like, will I be a marketing consultant and actually be able to dedicate more time to other avenues? I don't know. You knew what you wanted to do for so long from such a young age, and now you've done it. 
Like what, what does that mean? And you've done it, you've done it well. And now you have like a wildly successful following from it, which now you can leverage to do all these other things. That was so cool to watch. I followed you not from the beginning, the beginning, but from like the middle at least. And just watching that, I was like, damn, that's really cool. I want to learn. I want to learn how to do that. This is great. And I mean, I just learned so much from what you're sharing in general. I think that's that's the other thing too of like of a lot of folks who share content. It's so it's so much so it's just you know screaming into a void and look at what I'm doing. Yeah, you're really putting yourself out there. Even if you're not sharing like something vulnerable, you're still you're still putting yourself out there. It's interesting. I remember my first post went viral and I almost didn't do it again. It's like this. <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> it's scary. Sure. It's, but now I think it's fun. I like it a lot. I I think you're doing great. Thank you. I think you're doing great. You know, we're showing up. Okay. Yeah. And that's what matters. <laughs> we are showing up. <laughs> Show it's up terrifying. And <laughs> it is terrifying, but we're showing up. So that's, that's okay. Oh my goodness. Mm. Do you have a specific a specific campaign project? whatever you want to call it, that you are particularly proud of. Yeah. And it's funny, the one that comes to mind, it's not even an area of marketing that I work in anymore. So I'll, I'll lead teams that do this, but graphic design for, there was a, like a split second, like a year or two where I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer and then move into like being an art director, a creative director. I had to design stuff in my last job and I swear it sucked the soul out of me. I it was horrible, which is funny because I thought I loved it. And that's what matters. I figured it out. That being said, the campaign that comes to mind, is this really cool company I was working for. It's sustainable tech or sustainability tech. And so they were, there's like packaging for food, it was paper straws, it was all the things. You would walk into the office and the energy was just like crackling. It was great. And company was doing really well. We had just signed a deal to be like one of the sponsors of one of the Super Bowls. It was a couple, it was like 2020. So whichever one that was, I don't know, not a football person. Really cool though. And so that year they had something called the Sustainability Village, I guess, during the week leading up to the Super Bowl. So we had the biggest booth and I had to design it. But the cool thing about it was I wanted to design a booth where People knew who we were and what we were about without even coming into the booth, just by looking at it. So it was the ultimate storytelling. I think I had two weeks to do it. I spent the first week designing things and hating them and then panicking because I was running out of time. I spent like the next three days panicking, not even designing anything. And then one night, I would just go for like long drives when I was trying to, I still do that when I'm trying to think of new ideas. But for a super long drive, the idea just came to me. I went home, designed it that night, got it approved, and it was amazing. I'll send you a picture of it. But that was my favorite campaign of all time because it just came to life. Like, I'd never seen something come to life like that before, and it was just beautiful. That process that you just described, more of that creation of space, like separating yourself from the office, from your workday, from all of that getting in the car, driving, like that's physical space, which then, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of long drives as well. So then it creates that mental space. Is that a habitual practice that you have that you've capitalized on over and over again, once you realize that it worked to be able to have that inspiration? Yeah, it works 
really well for me. So when I was in the office, I would go for walks like outside or I would just go for a drive. I would just leave and say, I'll be back later. Now that I work from home, <laughs> I'll go for a bike ride. Like I'll take my dog for a walk. I'll just go to a park nearby or even just like go work out. My best ideas usually come to me when I'm not sitting at my, like in front of my computer. Naturally. I mean, I just feel like if you stick yourself in this box, marketing is creative. Like any creative field, if you force yourself to sit and just like not do anything else, you're really shutting off that part of your brain that's just allowed to explore. And you're just stuck within the same four walls. I don't get inspiration from white walls behind me. Like I need to get away. And I do think of it too in graphic design. If you're struggling with the design, if something looks off, but you can't figure out what. I learned pretty early on to look at it, look away for 10 to 20 seconds, close your eyes and then look back. And it's like your brain has reset. Interesting. So if you do the same thing with just getting up and walking away, you can give your brain a chance to reset too. Totally. Totally. I love that. And is, I know you mentioned working out. Is that something that's like a normal habit for you that helps like with creativity or is that just something for stress or is that just something for you or is that something that seldomly happens? (laughs) All (laughs) of the above. So (laughs) I I used to do it to feel creative. Now I'm doing bar. Have you ever done bar? No, that terrifies me. Yeah. I can't think much less be creative during bar. I'm just trying to stay alive. So like, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> it ow. is horrible. I've never been less creative <laughs> than, I am, than I am during a bar session. Oh my gosh. So now I just go to like relieve stress. I feel great afterwards. Oh my God. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, I feel you. I just started, I just started training. I took my first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class. Oh, how was that? It was awesome. Uh, mildly terrifying, but it was sure. awesome. I was a little too sweaty like I am now. Um, but I think movement is definitely a super, super important part of creativity and just like space, spatial awareness, like for me and being able to navigate through space in that way. And there are like very specific songs too that I can, if I can't get up and go somewhere, if I put on a song, I can write. I remember in high school and college, I would put on this one song on repeat and crank out a whole paper in like an hour and a half. It was the weirdest thing. Now I've expanded. I have three songs, but well, one I you need to send the songs. I need to know. Oh yeah, I'll send them to you. And I know we talked in the past. You were a punk rock kid. Still I am. Yeah. Do you ever I really grow out of it? This. No, <laughs> you can't grow out of that. No, you can't grow out of that at all. It's a lifestyle. I was always a very angsty kid. My siblings were bad kids. And I hope they listen to this because they were very bad kids and they put our parents <laughs> through hell. And so I was just kind of like the forgotten kid. They were always yelling at each other. And then nobody, like, there was nothing to talk to me about because I hadn't done anything wrong. And so they'd be so focused on them. I was just alone. So I was in my room a lot. I wouldn't want to listen to the arguing. And so it started with classical music in elementary school. That was it. I was in choir. My teacher in third grade we had like an instrument testing day and I just sat at the keyboard the whole time, the piano keyboard. So she went to my parents and told them like, I think she'd be good at this. They bought me a keyboard and then I taught myself piano. And so then I fell in love with classical music. And so I don't know if this resonates with you, but I always like felt a lot of similarities between classical and metal and rock. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's all really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's just like a natural transition. And I think I think there was one summer too. Everybody was in summer school. 
I was home alone and I found this music channel that just played. It's probably the most, it's the unhealthiest thing. It played rock music 24 seven. And I would just sit there all day and write down songs I liked and then download them on LimeWire. Let's go. <laughs> and that was, that was me. What, what kind of rock music though? Is this like, what's the vibe? Like classic rock? Are we punk rock at this point? What was that channel? Your 24 seven channel? I need to know. It was everything from like Nine Inch Nails to My Chemical Romance to like Demon Hunter. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I, I had always heard about Warp Tour and like that whole scene for a long time. And I remember asking my parents like, Hey, like, can I go to this? And they were like, no, 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 no. So the irony of the fact that the first tour managing gig that I ever had was Warp Tour what? was hilarious. I love that. When I got there, I was like, Oh, whoa. Like, <laughs> this is why they said no. Yeah. I get it now. And this was before, like, I didn't have any tattoos. I was just a little baby. And I looked, I stuck out so badly. <laughs> so badly. I literally, there was, there was a fanny pack involved. Like, it was not, oh, it you wasn't, really I know. stuck out. You I sure did. Really stuck out. I sure did. But I love that for you. And just... that's very poetic. It's very, it's kind of full circle, you know? <laughs> and I think that's great. What do you think is the biggest misconception about marketing? I'd say the biggest misconception is that anyone can do it. So marketing is one of those fields or departments where you have to feel like feedback from everybody else. You'll get engineers asking you, when are you, are you going to do this? Like, this is a good idea. You should put this on your calendar. You'll get HR asking you, like, you should post about this. People will like that. But, and not to be rude, but I wouldn't go into the engineering department and tell them how to do their jobs. And I think that stems from the fact that people consider marketing to just be, you just like post on social and just say funny things, like just post memes. But there's a lot of data behind it and it's a lot of work and great marketers are strategic and intentional about what they produce and how they distribute it. And I think it's insulting. (laughs) when other departments i i welcome feedback i like collaborating with other departments but don't tell me what to do and i love that thank you for sharing that is there i mean as we've talked about you have 17 different projects going on (laughs) (laughs) If, if you could choose one to share with us i would love to hear about it what is the what is the one project that you're working on right now other than the new job that you are so just pants on fire excited about it's funny. A week ago, I would have said a totally different one, but I just launched a newsletter yesterday and I'm <laughs> so excited about it. Because I saw it. Yeah, you saw that? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. But yeah, so I don't talk about marketing on LinkedIn or anything. And I'm, I don't filter myself necessarily, but I also can't put everything I want to into one post. So I get to talk about marketing in this newsletter and tell the stories that I probably wouldn't tell just on LinkedIn because those are the ones that would go viral and then I would just be horrified and want to delete it. But this will be like a, I'm calling it my professional journal. Ooh, okay. And I'm really excited about it. Incredible. It's be fun. Well, I will subscribe and uh, we'll link to that in the show notes for sure. Thank you. For anyone you. who's super stoked about that. Ugh, I mean, I could talk to you for eight hours, but before I let you go, I do ask every 
amazing human that shares their time with me two questions. And that is, what is the worst piece of advice that you've ever gotten? And of course, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? I think the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten is good things will come to you if you wait for them, which I'm sorry, like what does that even... Anyway, I feel like people say that because it sounds nice. I don't know. It sounds great. It sounds wonderful. Like you just have to sit in a field of flowers and like wait Mm -hmm. for things to come to you if you're just a good person. And things, nice things will happen to you, right? Like nice things happen. But you have to, I learned very quickly, you have to work really hard. And the harder I work, the luckier, quote unquote, I am. Um, And you're doing yourself a disservice if you just wait for things to come to you. Like people aren't going to pluck you out of obscurity and give you everything you want. Like you have to earn it. That's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is how do you create the space to focus on those things that you're really pants on fire excited about and doing that work. And then by doing that work, that doesn't necessarily feel like work. That's, I think, I would argue where that magic happens and where all of the the serendipity and the luck comes from is from those moments. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Cause if you're doing a lot of, if you're doing so many things, but you're not really passionate about any of them. Cause you could be working and you could be hustling and grinding and you can be doing all these things and, <laughs> and, and, just, and just whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. And you could be just so focused on like, well, I need to make the sale and I need to do that. And I need to build this thing and that thing. I feel like that the, the comment around, serendipity and the comment around just letting things exist is more around focusing on like your actual the work the quote-unquote work the thing that like really just like lights you up yeah well i love that advice i would take that advice like (laughs) yeah that sounds great (laughs) like a small tweak just Just a little little minor reframe (laughs) but no i think that's spot on like totally well that's the whole saying right if you do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life, which I don't know if I agree with that. I love marketing and sometimes I want to throw my computer off the balcony, but I love what I do. And so that's <laughs> totally. why I come back every day. Yeah. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and so what's the, what's the best piece of advice? What do you got? Okay. So I promise this will make sense when I explain it, but in high school, when I was learning how to, dr- no, I was 16. So in, in college, school, when I was learning how to when drive. When you were 12. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, yeah. So freshman year of college, I'm learning how to drive. <laughs> that statement is fantastic. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, Amazing. Okay. Very odd. So when I was learning how to drive, I was really stressed. There were, you're driving like two miles per hour, cars are behind you. I used to, instead of just merging lanes, I would stop and look the lane and then slowly inch over. It was horrible. And always panicking about what other people were thinking. And my, the teacher, the man with the clipboard, he told me, he said, none of these people, if you get in a wreck, none of these people are going to pay your bills. Like they're not going to pay for the medical bill. They're not going to pay your insurance. So focus on you and don't worry, like don't let other people and how they want you to drive affect how you drive unless they're going to be one paying your bill. And so I took that and yes, I applied it to driving, but I also, that man changed my life and he didn't even, he still doesn't know it because I apply that to so many areas of my life. Like if they aren't the one paying my bills or they aren't the one that would do the work or they aren't the one that are doing what I want to be doing, 
I don't need to worry about their opinion. And I think that's a really important mindset to have in general. Just focus on you. Thank you so much for sharing all of your tips, tricks, habits, genius with us today. I'm so stoked. I, we, I need to have you back 12 more times. And I can't wait to keep following all the things that you're working on. I'll share all of them in the show notes so everyone else can as well. And you rock. Thank you so much. This was great. I'm going to block off every Friday so we can just talk about this Boom. and have this conversation every week. So <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Cost of the Status Quo and learning the wisdom, stories, and ideas that will have you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world. If you've enjoyed this, please remember to share, rate, and review. It means the world to me and the team putting it all together. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at costofthestatusquo.com or on Instagram at costofthestatusquo. If you've got any questions or curiosity about me, you can find me at lindsaylearner.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-E-R-N-E-R.com or on Instagram at lindsaylearner. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have an awesome day.